Okay, our scripture text can be found in your bulletin, John 5. If you remember, we've been going through seven signs in the book of John that point to Jesus Christ on the road to heaven. And now we're going to uh, look at a very famous one. Uh, this is the healing at the pool of Bethesda. So this can be found uh, in your bulletin, John 5, or of course you can find it in the scriptures. Hear the word of the Lord. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roof colonnades. In these lay a multiple of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered, Sir, I have no one to put me into the water when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another one steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. The word of the Lord. Well, we're going to talk about miracles uh, today. Miracles are a strange thing, aren't they? They're these phenomena that we don't exactly know how to categorize. We have sports miracles. Remember the miracle on ice? Anyone alive then seen it as those young guys? The well, thank you, Evo. We appreciate that notice. How about the miracle on 34th Street? <laughs> in a movie, you know? It's a miracle. Things are going on. I had a miracle uh, of my own when this woman walked into my uh, lunchroom cafeteria when I was a first year in college. It was a miracle, and her name was Lee Ellen. An even deeper miracle, I convinced her to marry me. So miracles do occur. You know, we've maybe been a part of, you know, somebody who's in the hospital and they've got to have cancer and then the next week as they're going in, the, you know, the x-ray show, it's completely gone. And we're wondering what to make of this. Is it a coincidence? Is it a miracle? Is it what? And so we kind of look at it as Christians, but set it on a shelf away from us. You know, it was the great Thomas Jefferson, uh, the founder of my alma mater, that loved the teachings of Jesus, but did not like the miracles because he couldn't get his hand around them. And so what he did was he cut out every section that was miraculous in the New Testament, and he made his own Bible, the Jefferson Bible, which I read every day at the University of Virginia. It was a wonderful experience. I, of course, am kidding. Laugh with me. Okay, so here is a healing Jesus heals this man at the pool of Bethesda. But he didn't heal everyone, did he? Why this man? Why not someone else? Why in the way that he did it? We know that each of these things that Jesus did were not just for the sake of us watching. They were signs. Signs that led to a picture of who he is. And what we want to do is we want to look at the sign because the sign isn't just about Jesus healing a man. 
This is a sign not about healing his legs, but rather a sign of healing a person's heart. The greatest miracle is not that of healing one physically, outside, but healing one on the inside. Not binding that which is broken, like one's legs, but putting together that which is broken, the human heart. And so Jesus goes through this process, this diagnostic process by which he touches this man. He does three things. Number one, he asks a question. A question that this man is to answer. Then number two, he gives a command. Rise and walk. And then finally, number three, he gives a warning. A question, a command, and a warning. And I believe that he asks that question to us as well today. He commands us just like he commands him. And he warns us as well. And so we're going to look at these three things. Because the central message of this passage is simply this. Abundant life is not found in your circumstances. Abundant life is found in obedience to God's commands. Well, let's look at this man's circumstances and this question that Jesus asks. We see here that Jesus is going to the feast and he enters in through one of the gates, the Sheep Gate, into Jerusalem. It was a walled city. And there by the gate is this pool called the Pool of Bethesda. The name literally means House of Healing. And why it was called the House of Healing was there was a rumor, there was a some sort of legend that an angel would come down and he would stir the waters. And when he did, there were healing properties in the waters. And whoever got there first was the one who was going to be healed. Now, they've actually excavated and found the Pool of Bethesda and the five covered colonnades. And they even found a, a fresco of an angel coming down and stirring the water. So this is a literal archaeological place that you can go visit, the Pool of Bethesda. And so Jesus is there, and he finds out, it's very interesting, he picks one man out of the crowd because there are you know, multitudes of people around these colonnades who would sit and lie and wait. You know, this is, this is their hospital, the house of healing, the house of hope. And so Jesus discovers this man, and it seems that he knows about him. Did he inquire about him? Did he ask other people, or did he simply know? Jesus had a way of doing that. We're not exactly sure, but he discovered this man had been there for 38 years. An invalid, couldn't walk, or maybe he just couldn't walk. He had 38 years on the side of this pool, hoping to be able to get into the water. Think a little bit about that. 38 years. Now, he had his life, didn't he? He had a life he'd grown accustomed to. He was still alive. Somehow he was eating. He had friends and relationships with other people around the pool. This was his home. He had never known anything different. But the problem was this, that he had no help. When the pool was stirred, if it was stirred, it was every man for himself. And because his legs were, uh, were lame, there was no hope. He was always going to come in last place or second to last. And there are no prizes in this game for second to last. And so Jesus comes to this man. And what I love about this picture is that Jesus comes to him individually. See, it's always personal with Jesus. It's not transactional. Jesus is learning about this person, and he's coming directly to this person. Much in the same way that Jesus' interaction with you and me is personal. He knows about you. He learns about you. He wants to have a personal interaction with you. And so Jesus comes to him, 
And he asked the question, do you want to be healed? Now I can see this 38 uh, you know, year plus invalid going, what do you think? Do you want to, of course I want to be healed. What a ridiculous question. And yet Jesus asks it. Why does he ask it? It's really a great question. You see, it's not directed at the man's body. It's directed at the man's heart. See, this man has only known one type of life. He's only had one family. Everyone else who's sick and hurting. He's only had one identity. He's the, is this thing going to fall over, by the way? Okay, we're good. He's only had one identity. He's the crippled guy. Okay, he's only had one occupation. Lying on this mat. This mat is his home. But it's all he knows. And so Jesus asks the question, do you want to be healed? And this man does not give an appeal, but rather he gives an excuse. The sick man answered, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. See, he doesn't say yes. He says, here's why I can't change. Here's why I am the way I am. See, the appeal of Jesus to this cripple is the same to us today. Do you want to get well? Do you want to be healed? The word means whole in the Greek as well. Do you want to be whole? It's an appeal to our hearts. See, in one way, shape, or another, we're all crippled. We're all crippled. Maybe it's relationally. Maybe it's estranged relationships with your parents who you never loved and never knew. Maybe it's with your children. Maybe it's with the fact that you can't interact with people. That you feel like you're in this prison and in this shell. And so we're crippled relationally. Heck, there are people that maybe you haven't spoken with in 10 years because of that comment or that last argument. We're crippled relationally. Do you want to be whole? We're crippled maybe emotionally. That you're resigned to your feelings. That you're anxious all the time. That you're down all the time. Everyone else seems happy and joyous. But it's a dark fog in your life. And you experience sadness and anxiousness. And there's no peace in your heart. Do you want to be whole? Maybe it's spiritually. Other people have this wonderful relationship with God. They seem to talk to Him and know Him. When I speak, it's emptiness. I come, I go through the motions. Maybe I join the hospitality team. And yet, there's something missing in my life. I'm crippled. But you see, even worse than whatever situation we have, and we're all broken, Christ's call is a call to wholeness. How will we respond? With an appeal or an excuse? I can't change. There's no one to help me. There's no hope for me. I've been this way way too long. This is my mat right here. I'm set in my career. I'm set in the way that I deal with things. I'm set with the bottle. I'm set with that guy, that girl. I can't change. But the second part is even worse. It's not necessarily sometimes I can't change. Sometimes it's I won't change. You know, I used to be in business development and sales before I became a pastor. Don't make any comments. But one of the things that we would learn is this. That the fear of loss is greater than the desire for gain. Think about that. The fear of loss is greater than the desire for gain. 
See, until, until you can instill in a potential client that it is greater to, it is more of a danger to lose the opportunity, they'll stay exactly the same way they are. Why? Because we always fixate to the status quo. I don't know about this that you're offering, which sounds like the thing that I'm looking for, but I do know this. And it may be miserable, but it's comfortable. And so I won't change. I'm going to hold on to this because I have a life that's certain and I don't want to give it up for the uncertain. But you see, Christ's question is this, do you want to be whole? It's a call into the unknown. And sometimes we're just not ready to step into that. I had a buddy of mine who used to uh, exercise together. And uh, it was interesting because we'd exercise usually on a Saturday morning. He wasn't a church-going person. Uh, but uh, he enjoyed me and I enjoyed him. And so we'd go running. And it was kind of neat because I would rehearse my sermon with him. You know, a great way to preach a sermon. You know, um, you know, it's a great way for me to get it out. It's great for this guy who's not a believer to hear the gospel message. And so we'd be running along. You know, I'd be... You know, telling my sermon and then always turning the corner to, what do you think about that? You know, and they're being kind of quiet. And, you know, but then, I, yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think you have a good point. You know, it was interesting, over the course of months, even maybe it was a year, he came to hear the truth. And one day I, I just flat out asked him, do you believe that this is true? He said, yeah. I said, well, what's stopping you from committing your life to him? can't change. I'm set in my ways. This is the life that I know, that I'm comfortable in. And even though I know this is true, I know it in my mind, I know it in my heart, I'm not ready to exercise it with my will. Do you want to get well? See, that's the question for you and for me. And you may be laying there on the mat saying, you know what, I don't have any hope, I don't have any help. My life is alone and isolated. This is all I've ever known. But Jesus Christ comes into your life personally and offers you not health, but life. Not just a rescue from a physical malady, but shalom, peace in your heart. And so we must make a decision. Either we will give an appeal, yes, Lord, I do want to be whole, or we will give an excuse. I can't change won't change. But what Jesus is looking for is for you to jump in and say, yes, I want to be whole. To risk what you have for what could be. Do you want to get well? It's the question he was asking. Well, Jesus moves to number point, number two, a command. Amidst this man giving his excuse, Jesus says, get up, take up your mat and walk. By the way, no one would ever say these words in this place. It's almost cruel, isn't it? A host of people laying around a pool, hoping for an outside chance to be healed, and one man has the gall to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. I wonder what this man was doing as he was looking down there at the pool, explaining to this man, and he hears this voice, get up, take up your mat, and walk. And he felt maybe the electricity in his body of sinews and muscle and bone. There's something going on in him. And yet 38 years of no help and no hope. Would it make sense to get his hopes up? 
What if this was just some cruel joke? He certainly couldn't be hearing it because nobody in their right mind would say it. See, it was so unexpected. The man is trying to find a way to go down and Jesus is telling him to rise up, to live a new life. See, what Jesus is saying is it's a command. See, a question is something to be answered, but a command is something to be obeyed. Jesus may have done a miracle in this man's life, but this man still had to obey. He still had to stand up and walk. He had to respond to this command that God gave him. He needed to walk in the strength and this miracle that God had put on his life. See, the results of our faith lie on the other side of obedience. Jesus constantly would tell people to do something before they'd experience the miracle. To the man with the shriveled hand, open your hand and stretch it out. To Peter, step out of the boat and walk. It's a command to obey. It's a command to him and it's a command to us. Rise up and walk. Leave your old life and enter into the new life. See, Christ's call is a call to get up and to be reborn. See, the pool is a baptism of water, but Jesus' baptism is that of the Holy Spirit. And he says, come to my pool and be born again. Leave your old life and have a new one. And rise up a resurrected person and walk. Walk away from your circumstances. Walk into my promises I can do all things through Him who gives me strength. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean on in your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all ways and He will make your path straight. Walk away from the pool and walk to a Savior. Walk to Him. One of my favorite movies I saw recently again is The Hobbit. Remember that movie, The Hobbit? You know, they were the first three. I think this one's even better than the other ones. And we find... Gandalf, the Grey, walking up to the door of one Bilbo Baggins, a hobbit of Hobbiton, who is a very uh, comfortable little hobbit who has his little hobbit hole and lives a very boring life. And as Gandalf walks up to Bilbo, he says, I'm looking for someone to share in an adventure. And Bilbo's response was, no, no, no. I'm the Baggins of Bag End. I don't do adventures. Adventures are dangerous. They're bad. No, 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 that's not for me. You can find someone over there. But Gandalf has something in store for young Bilbo, doesn't he? And so there's a knock on his door that night, and one by one, in come the dwarves, before there's twelve of them. Remember, there was Bofur and Bilfur, Balin and Dwalin, Keely and Ely, Gloin and Norn and Orin and Dory and Bomber and Thorin, all twelve of them. They come into Bilbo's life. They eat his food. They turn over his entire life. And lo and behold, Gandalf says, you are to be part of this crew. This crew on this amazing adventure. And as Bilbo sees his life thrown up all around him, and he sees this opportunity to ask Gandalf this question. If I go, can you promise I will come back? And Gandalf says, no. And if you do, will not be the same. 
See, the call of Jesus is to go with a group of people on a journey to heaven. And if you choose to rise up and walk, you will not be the same. And the next day comes in the morning and everything's clean and they're all gone. And as he looks at his normal, boring life, and he looks at the opportunity, he gets up and he runs. See, he trusts Gandalf at the end of the day because he trusts him, he knows him, and eventually he loves him. He trusted the one whose words he knew. See, tell me who you love, and I will tell you who you are. Rise and walk is the call of a Savior who knows you and can catch you if you fall. To rise and walk is to rise and walk with Jesus. And much like Bilbo, we can ask the question, how can we trust this call into the unknown? How can we trust that if I rise and walk and follow you, I'll get to my destination? See, the reason we can trust Christ's command to get up and walk is because Christ went down into the pool, not of healing, but of judgment. How can we trust Christ to get up to rise and walk? Because Jesus picked up the cross and put it on his shoulder. And up the hill of Golgotha he went, rising and walking to his death. That we might have new life in his death. And so Jesus has come to baptize us in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. He has come to find us. He who was dead and has come alive has come to bring us from death to life too. Just like Lazarus, come out, rise and walk. See, truth be told, folks, we want our circumstances healed. We don't want to be crippled anymore. We, we want to get off of this mat, whatever it is. Jesus says, I'm not going to heal your circumstances. I'm going to heal your heart. Rise and walk, because abundant life is not found in your circumstances. It's found in obedience to God's commands. And so Jesus has given you the question, but he's also given you the call. Rise and walk. Have you responded in love and obedience and trust to get up out of your comfortable place and to follow him into the unknown? What's your pool? What are you tethered to that's touching you and will not, you won't let it go? What's his name, or her name, or the number of that bank account, or that corporate title, or that friend's approval? What are you laying around year after year hoping to find salvation? If you're looking for Jesus, he's at that pool, because that's precisely what he wants. If you want to find him, that's where he is. And Jesus says, rise and walk, trade your life for my life. Will you do it? It's the question and it's the command. Well, that leads me to my last part. Jesus issues a warning. If you remember, the place breaks loose. Okay, you can imagine. Rise and walk. The guy rises and walks. Everybody knows who this guy is. And pandemonium ensues around the pool of Bethesda. Well, it's so crazy and so insane that Jesus slips away into the crowd. In fact, this man is Dancing doesn't even have the wherewithal to think where did he go and what was his name. Now along come the Jewish leaders that basically say to him, 
Don't you know that it's against the law to take up your mat and walk? I can't think of anything more ludicrous, by the way. What about, don't you think it's against the law to go ahead and rise up and be healed? No, they don't say that. They say, take up your mat and walk. Which, by the way, isn't in the Old Testament. It's one of those rules that have been put in. You know, religion has a way of doing it, doesn't it? Kind of putting you in a little box. These are the game, you know, rules that you have to play with. And the man says, I don't know. I don't know who it was, but I'm walking. And here's the beauty. Jesus finds him again. He found him in the pool, the house of wholeness. And he finds him in the temple, the house of God. A new place of healing. And he says these words, see you are well. Sin no more that nothing worse may happen to you. Now on the face of it, what's he saying? It's almost like a rebuke. It's a, it's a warning. It's a danger. We like the other Jesus, don't we? The more he's good, he'll do everything. Hurrah. No, Jesus issues a warning. See, what Jesus is saying to this man is remember what I have done for you. I have brought you from death to life. And so your life belongs to me. Give me your life and follow me. Sin no more. Now what's he talking about? Sin no more. Where was he sinning? I mean, is lying around on a mat because you're crippled looking at a pool sinning? Yes, it is. If your hope is placed in anything else but Jesus Christ. See, what Jesus is saying is don't use me. Don't use me, but worship me. It's interesting, these words here, uh, uh, sin no more. It's only used one other time in the Bible, in the Greek, the way it's said, and it's with the woman caught in adultery. The woman caught in adultery who's brought before everyone. You know, what does Jesus say? Does anyone condemn you? Neither do I. Go and leave your life of sin. What's the life of sin? It's worshiping anything else. It's going back to that pool. Jesus says, follow me. They ask the question in John again, what are the works that God requires? And Jesus said, the work of God is to believe. John 20, 30, the book of John ends with this. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. See, to believe is to live differently. It's to take the giver, not just the gifts. It's not to live in two worlds, because Jesus is jealous. He wants all of you. And so to lead your life, to rise and walk, is to show it in how you live, and how you worship. If your life looks the exact same before you rose up and walked, you have to ask the question, did I really get up at all? Rise up, remember, see, you're sinning, don't do that, or something worse may happen to you. See, the offer of life comes with it the alternative fate of death. Jesus, in essence, gives us an offer we can't refuse. Well, that's not fair, you may say. It's your choice. Jesus says, rise and walk. Do you want to be whole? Jesus' command is not to be refused. And so we, who are Christians, must examine the command. 
The scriptures say, examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. If you're not a Christian, God's call upon you is to examine the command of Jesus. Has he come to you and said, do you want to be whole? Guess what? He's doing it right now. Have you responded to the command, rise and walk? Because if you do, you'll never be the same. Everything will and must change in your life. See, to embark on the call of Christ is to embark on a journey that leads to heaven with the Savior who will never let us go in an adventure with a company of other people. Some would say robbers and thieves like us. See, the church is a group, a group of dwarfs. Brothers who have decided to go in one direction to one destiny. And we must walk together or we will not make it. The world we live in is in a stupor. And God's call to His church is to go into the world and to love people. It's one of the most dangerous things to do, you know. Much safer to stay away from them. We could stay in our own silo as a person, our own little mat of Christianity. We could stay in our own mat right here in this church, couldn't we? Or we can go together, rise and walk, lead a different life. So what's got to go in your life? What has got to be jettisoned? Maybe there's something dragging on your foot right now and you're following, but it's stopping you. It's got to go. It's got to go. What's stopping us as a church from living the miraculous sort of life that we're called to? Are we just going to be comfortable? Or are we going to change the world? Through Jesus Christ. His call to us is to change the world. Even if it's one person right across the street. I conclude with this thought. Jesus asks you the question. Do you want to be healed? There's only one right answer to that question. Yes. Then Jesus gives us a command. Rise up and walk. Will you respond and stand? That's what it means to be a Christian. And will you walk step by step, carefully? That's the warning. There's strength in numbers. God has a destination. Abundant life is not to be found in your circumstances, wherever they are. Abundant life is found in obedience to God's commands. So by His grace, let us be faithful to His commands in our own life and to His commands for us as a church. Let's pray. Lord, I thank You that when we were comfortable in our misery, You came to our door and You said, Do you want to be whole? Lord, what a, a profound question. And the answer is yes. We do want to be whole. You are the only one that can put us back together. You can, are the only one who can take our heart of flesh, a heart of stone, and give us a heart of flesh. Give us the courage to say yes. Give us the courage to rise up and to walk away from that which is killing us to you who are giving us life. And give us the courage to walk across the street and into a world that is sitting around the pool, wondering, waiting when they're going to have an opportunity to maybe taste just a little bit of life. Let us walk carefully, honestly, soberly. This walk is through death, and it leads to life. 
But you promised that you'll never leave us or forsake us. So we trust in you. Where else can we go, Lord? You have the very words of life. All of this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.